And we are back. Episode 10 of Elite Heat. Kevin, my guy, we, we've made it to double digits. That That's insane to me. Like, when we started this in December of 2020, I, I, I wouldn't have thought that we'd just be going along so smoothly. Like, I had a feeling this would be good, but in my opinion, it's worked out pretty well. The past few weeks, we've had a blast with the videos, especially the podcasts. Like, if WWE was a high school, if WWE wrestlers got real jobs, the Chamber Super Show... All that kind of stuff. Hopefully you guys are enjoying the content. If you are, spam the W's in the chat. All that kind of good stuff. Today, we're making a return to the wrestler bios. Now, from memory, the last wrestler bio we did was Randy Orton from memory. So, we're doing Seth Rollins today. Seth Rollins... I mean, Kevin, I'll pass this over to you. Just give us some opening words, will you? Yeah, what's going on, everybody, man? First of all, I hope you all are... Really, like, I genuinely hope you all are doing all right. You all are having a great day. It's a tough... It's tough times right now in 2021, so... Hope for that. And for those of you, I'll give you a little synopsis. For those of you who don't know, if you're new listeners, what Elite yeah. Heat is. Basically, myself, Botify Heat, this is my YouTube channel. The Elitist, he is a YouTuber with his own YouTube channel. And we come together every week and we do something fun or we talk, you know, where we talk about a certain wrestler or we talk about a certain pay-per-view or we just have something creative, something unique. And we're here for like an hour, hour and a half. And it's just good old time cracking jokes we're not very serious we're not one of those podcasts where we're gonna be like so seth rollins did this move in 2015 in this match against sting he, this is the the full move set we're not gonna do that we're gonna have like a general discussion about his entire career and it's gonna be really good fun like like you say so yeah I mean, yeah like like one of the things with our podcast like i mean when we started it really like i think both of us are on kind of the same track as far as the kind of content we want to make like, we want to make content that us ourselves would just want to, like, watch, you know? It's not like we're trying to do some overly analytical two-and-a-half-hour-long podcast about, you know, Seth Rollins' move in that, at the 15-minute, 22-second mark in his match against John Cena at SummerSlam 2015. Like, we're not trying to critically analyze in that way. We just want to make some entertaining content. Like, next week, quick little, you know, prelude to next week. Next week, we're doing If AEW Was a High School, which that Ooh. one... Yeah. <laughs> that's gonna be that's gonna be a boss Michael. i love it Michael. <laughs> oh, part one was such a hit if wwe was a high school it was such a hit so if aew was a high school it's gonna be just as good if not better hopefully better i reckon that'll i reckon that'll do better i mean because aew tends to do quite well as far as people want to click it and see what people what we have to say so that one's gonna be a blast i mean look out for a certain brian cage in that video that's all i'm gonna say so <laughs> with that being said yeah <laughs> that being said Seth Rollins, he's the topic of this video. This guy, Kobe Lopez, his birth name, whatever. Seth Rollins, I mean, where do we want to begin? I guess we'll start off the top. What's your general thought on Seth Rollins, Kevin? Like, I say Seth Rollins, what do you think? Uh, in general, what I think is his big-time performance in terms of like his in-ring performing ability. I think of the triple threat match with Cena and Brock, just his star-making performance. I think of just like him as the performer. As in-ring performer, Rollins is a guy, he has like the best of both worlds, if you will. He's a guy that has charisma and the look that casual wrestling fans like. And he's also very good and extremely talented in the ring that services the hardcore internet fan, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think like, I'd agree with that. I'd second it. For me, when I, when I see Seth Rollins, like some of the stuff I've heard about him, like the guy, Kobe Lopez... One of the things I do respect, like, a lot is how, like, driven he, like, has, like, always been. Like, this is a Seth Rollins who, 
for one, I remember, I believe I saw the clip the other day. It's like AJ Styles was in the ring with Seth Rollins. This might have been maybe 2007, 2009, something like that. Seth Rollins was like 19 years of age. And Styles goes, kid, you're good. You're the future. And then I think in the Young Bucks book as well, the Young Bucks were like, oh, this guy, Tyler Black, Seth Rollins, you know, he was always saying, that, oh, I want a main event WrestleMania. That's what I need to do. And Seth Rollins really did go on to achieve that. So... When I think Seth Rollins, I think of a guy incredibly driven, really good at you know, achieving his goals and all that kind of stuff. As far as the guy we see on TV, in the past year and a bit, it's, it's a whole different kettle of fish. Seth Rollins, personally, I've used the term the rating slayer. I think that's fair. Um, what are your thoughts on the term the rating slayer for Seth Rollins, Kevin? I, I, think, I think it can be, in my honest opinion, I think it can be a bit overblown. I don't necessarily hmm. agree with it. I think it's just something that, like, some people, I'm not saying that you do this, but some people cling yeah. to ratings as, like, that they're this big deal. I don't know if they really are. WWE's still getting paid a billion dollars. Like, yeah. USA Network knew that Raw was doing, that Raw's numbers were declining, and they still gave WWE a billion dollars. So I don't I don't know how important ratings are. And, like, Rollins as a whole, like, yeah, you could blame him for, like, maybe the lowest rated SmackDown on, on Fox in the Fox era. But at the same time, WWE was promoting him like his return, like he was like Stone Cold coming back to wrestle again for twenty years. Like it was just a weird marketing tactic with that whole segment. Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about Seth Rollins and his real run as the top guy for the past like five to six years. We'll talk about like pretty much all of that in this late heat bio today. So, I guess, I mean, like, where do you want to start this off? Do you want to talk about? Kind of the, the the early days, Seth Rollins. Is there much to talk about there. Really? Yeah, yeah. Let, let's. I'll, I'll just point this out. I'll just point some facts out. Seth Rollins yeah. is the first NXT champion. So NXT. A lot of people may not know this, but NXT was around, I believe, from like 2010. So it it yeah. didn't start with like Charlotte and Natalia and like you know Bo Dallas and Neville. Seth Rollins was there. Big E was there. A bunch of guys that we see now, Bray Wyatt. All these guys were in NXT. That's where the shield came from. So Seth Rollins is a part of this class with Bray Wyatt, Roman Reigns, and Dean Ambrose. Arguably the best like developmental class since Cena, Orton, Batista, and Shelton Benjamin. I, I think that's pretty fair to say. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Like they have like the FCW Florida Championship Wrestling type deal with yeah Tyler Black from ROH. Okay, Seth Rollins. You've got Ambrose. All these type of guys. That's like the OG NXT. Because, yeah, we're not counting the, the, the horrific game show in 2010 where you'd have Titus O'Neil <laughs> running with a big keg. Like, we're not counting that crap. <laughs> Seth Rollins is, like, the OG NXT. The, the NXT ran by Papa Triple H and Dusty Rhodes. Like, that NXT in, you know, in full sale and whatnot. That is the NXT that Seth Rollins really did become the face of. Like, Seth Rollins was, like, the first NXT guy. He was the first NXT champion for a reason. Okay? This was the guy who Triple H... Right out of the gate, identified as this is this is a guy who I can get behind. Here's the NXT Championship. Seth Rollins, really, ever since then, for the past nine odd years, he's been one of the go-to guys for the company. It's fair to say. Yeah, I mean, he made his big debut as a member of the Shield. The Shield, you could say, I mean, it's almost it's almost objective at this point. The Shield is like the best faction. There's not many people that would disagree with you. They're the best faction of the 2010s. Arguably, the best faction of the entire 2000s. That WWE has produced. When you look at like what the Shield became, Roman Reigns, Dean Ambrose, now John Moxley and Seth Rollins, that's really three main event guys coming together and forming a faction. A lot of times you'll see like 
like with DX, it was Triple H and then, you know, the Road Dog and Billy Gunn. With The Shield, there was three legitimate main eventers. And Seth Rollins was a big part of that. Like, Seth Rollins was the guy that people looked at and was like, yeah, this this guy is the best wrestler of the group. He's going to go on to be a big-time performer, WrestleMania performer. You know, and it was always like, Seth Rollins always had something special about him, too. But it kind of went unnoticed, I think. Well, what did you say that his like his greatness went unnoticed largely from the beginning of the Shield? Like up, like people didn't really take notice of him until like the Wyatt family feud. I, I feel like. No, I, I was gonna literally just input that same thing. Like until really, as you say, the Wyatt family feud. Seth Rollins, he was the guy with the yellow streak in his hair in the Shield. Yeah, you know, but he was kind of just there. Like Ambrose was like the kind of like the guy who just beat you up, and then Reigns was like the big powerhouse who do the the sick hot tags and the building would erupt when Roman Reigns comes in and does his big, like, hurrah, like, all that kind of stuff was how the Shield would kind of, like, operate. And, like, I can't stress the greatness of the Shield enough. Like, watching them in 2012 through 2014, that whole Shield run, watching them as a kid, that, that, that's what, like, some of my, like, fondest wrestling memories. Like, they were so damn cool. Like, I wanted to see any babyface team beat them, and, like, no one really could. Like, I, I forget when the Shield eventually lost a match, but it took nearly a year, I, I feel like, and it's just such a damn good group like all around yeah amazing it's great the shield you talk about these guys they were the draw of the show for a lot like a lot a lot of people people that were just sick of cena yeah yeah. Yeah, like in 2013 people that were just sick of john cena they're like oh i I watch because of the shield and and it was like okay roman reigns is going to be a big star dean ambrose he's going to be a big star big heel but then it was like well what is this seth rollins guy going to be and then it came around eventually. Like, I don't. We we need to talk about the Shield stuff, really. Like from twenty twelve to well, twenty thirteen. I, I, I want to talk about them a bit more. I think. Okay, go ahead. Having Seth Rollins in his debut match have that TLC war against Team Hell No and Ryback. I think that was sick. Like that's a good kind of like a first main roster match for Rollins. Like that match, I've I've seen that one a bunch. It was in you know in the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. It's like the first first WWE show in that arena or something like that. It was like some big deal. And then the Shield absolutely steal the show. There, there are people flying through tables. I remember during that match, one one spot I'll just talk about. Ryback's at the top of the ladder. It's like this like forty foot high ladder. Picks up Rollins by like his you know, his back and just flings him. Rollins goes through like four tables, hits his head on the table. Like Seth Rollins, the things he put himself through. Like granted, I don't usually condone like the spot monkeys and like the dangerous spots and all that kind of stuff. But this guy, he had such dedication to the craft. So. Commend him on that. I think as far as other Shield memories, I mean, there are plenty of plenty of Shield memories. Shields, Wy- Shield Wyatt's. Oh, here, here's a, here's a big one for me. Uh, yep. at, after WrestleMania 29 in 2013, when they attacked The Undertaker on SmackDown, yes. that's one that's like at the forefront of my memory. That was when I knew that these guys, that WWE had big plans for them because it was The Undertaker. It was the like we had seen the Shield face like John Cena, Sheamus, and and like you know Randy Orton or Alberto Del Rio or whoever the third partner was. We had seen like different iterations of top guys interact with the Shield, but then it was like the Undertaker. They got the better of the Undertaker. It was like wow, these guys have arrived. Yeah, like, it was so cool. And like one of the things you talked about the Shield just before, like the, the whole act worked. Like, it really did. Like, the three guys themselves always going to make it, like, in the company. Because, I mean, just, I mean, Reigns was the chosen one. Ambrose was just, you know, he, he was he was different. He was unique. And Seth Rollins was always, like, the, you know, the hard-working one. Like, really, well, they all were, but Rollins, that was, like, his thing. So, you have those three guys. You give them, like, the shield. It was, a, it was like, a cool, distinctive theme song. They came through the crowd. 
which is a good point of difference. Okay, at that time, no one else did that. And with their music, the attire, it, it felt different. It felt cool. It was fresh. This is a time period in 2012 where you've got Ryback squashing people in a minute. You've got CM Punk a year into a title reign. Cena, everyone's mostly sick of. Like the main event scene was kind of just generally stale. Sheamus was world champion. And like, it was stale. So the Shield come in, Seth Rollins, Ambrose Reigns, got the Shield vest. They're doing those like camcorder promos backstage, slamming the camera on the ground to end the promo. Like, like I'll get your opinion on that now. What do you think of like the Shield, like just generally the act? Like, I thought it was great. What do you think? Like the, the vignettes and stuff? Yeah, I thought it was... Or like how, like how they, you know, how they present themselves, like how different it was oh, and yeah. everything else. Yeah, overall, I thought they were great. I mean, they're, they're three guys wearing a SWAT gear. You have Dean Ambrose, who legitimately looked like a crazy man. And then, like, Roman Reigns is just, like, the guy, like a cool guy, like a bouncer. that's like, oh, I'm going to kick your ass. And Rollins kind of looked kind of crazy, too, because he had the blonde hair. And he would always be the guy that would be, like, screaming and, like, getting really intense. Like, he, he was always the intense guy. I remember that. And, yeah, the Shield was just, it was cool. It was something that, that you could show a casual fan at the time, at the height of the PG era, and be like, check this out. These guys are these guys are pretty dope. It wasn't like, you know, you're going to show them Seamus bro kicking Muppets or something. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> you had the Shield. They just, they were like movie characters. They were like movie stars. It was dope. Like, some of the backstage vignettes I remember very well. They had, like, an NWO-like flavor. People will say that because they were black and white screened. But it was completely different. It would just be Dean Ambrose talking for like a minute and a half, talking about like how they're going to attack Triple H, like, you know, Triple H not to mess with them or whatever. And then you have Roman on the screen, just like, like huffing and puffing. And then Rollins just looking like he's ready to like, he's ready to just go crazy and, and beat somebody up. It was cool. It was good stuff. Yeah, it was great. And like one, one other thing I want to say about the Shield, one of the reasons I have such fond memories of them is because at the time period in like 2012, 13, 14, that was when I was like, yeah, middle school, and there was actually people who like watched WWE, and it wasn't so like uncool as it is, especially like nowadays. And like, you know, a bunch of people we'd be like talking about, oh, oh, Shield beat up this person, oh, they're they're cool, like all this kind of stuff. And it's like, it's that kind of stuff that like makes wrestling kind of fun, especially when you're like that age. And then, I mean, nowadays it's it's completely different. Like, no one's no one at school or college is going, oh my god, you see the great match Seth Rollins had with John Morrison on SmackDown, like. Yeah, you don't get that kind of stuff. So yeah, the Shield back in the day, just super damn cool. Just one of the best stables in wrestling history, bar none. Now I think we'll talk about the night Seth Rollins arrived, Elimination Chamber 2014. I don't know how many times you've seen this match, Kevin, but I mean, walk me through Elimination Chamber 2014. <laughs> <would you? laughs> Let's see what you did there. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I'll, I'll paint this picture. Basically, by the time Elimination Chamber came through came and went it was like okay Seth Rollins is gonna be a big star like this guy is gonna be a main event player in WWE for a long time and it turned out to be true so Elimination Chamber you have the Shield and the Wyatt family which was Luke Harper Bray Wyatt and Eric Rowan which were just as hot as as the Shield if not hotter because Bray Wyatt was about to face John Cena like he was doing like the whole world in his hands um, he was doing just the stuff with Daniel Bryan, when Daniel Bryan joined the Wyatt family. So the Wyatt family was hot. The Shield was red hot. And these guys came together and they just had a match. It was like Vince McMahon and Triple H and, all, and everybody was just like, yo, do what you guys got to do. You had Rollins just like doing all these planches over the top rope, like back and forth. You had the crowd super into it. 
hot tag after hot tag. These guys were brawling. It was just an all-out war of a six-man tag. It, it like what you, the the guys on the indie sh- indie scene should study this match and be like, yo, this is how we do a multi-man match. This is one of like probably I would have to say the best six-man match I've ever seen, and probably the best six-man feud that I think we'll ever see in wrestling, especially the way Vince runs wrestling. Oh god, yeah, and like you you, you look at this match and what they did and how they told the story of like, oh, Ambrose got taken out, Rollins got taken out after his valiant like flurry. It's Reigns left against the three shield, um, three White family guys. And finally, after Reigns' big onslaught, the White family finally get the better of the shield. Like, it was, it was just brilliant. Seth Rollins in this match, he was, like, the way they did it, like, he got tagged in, and he's flying all around the place. And the crowd was genuinely, like, erupting for everything he was doing. They were, you know, captivated, compelled. It's not like nowadays, which, I mean, I'm sure some people are probably going to hate me for this example, but it's the truth. You look at AEW... With their Jurassic Express versus, who was it? It was the Young Bucks, it was the Elite. Jurassic Express Elite, like last year in the six-man tag, we've got Matt Jackson holding up Jungle Boy so that Marco Stunt can go flying for a pile driver spot. Like, you look at the contrast from Shield Wyatt's to these random six-man spot fests nowadays, the predominantly in AEW, and you go, one has a story with people who everyone genuinely cares about, who have characters, a build-up, and a reason to care. The other one is gymnastics and trapeze acts at a circus on a wrestling show. There's a massive difference there, and that's why the Shield and the White family, amazing. Just phenomenal, Kevin. Phenomenal. I, I didn't want to say that about AEW, but you did, so I'll let you, you take the credit oh, for that. Fuck this, Marvel. Fuck this. I mean, it's the truth. Like, you watch these, Kevin. I, I need to take a moment here. These most of these AW matches, they're just they're, they're so similar. Kevin. It's the same skeleton for a match. It's just suicide dives and plancha flips. It's just Kevin. Kevin. I know. Rollins did it so much better than everyone else. Anyway, moving on. We're talking uh, about Seth Rollins, pal. Damn it, pal. So, uh, so then it was like Rollins went from the guy that nobody cared about in the Shield to Rollins was the leader of the Shield towards the end. Like they started doing this angle. I don't know if it started before or after the Elimination Chamber match, where Rollins was like like, tired of being the guy that held the glue together, because, like, this was a time where Roman and Dean were, like, fighting, they had some dissension in the shield, and Rollins would kind of be the, the peacemaker, and then Rollins got kind of sick of holding, like, holding everything together, and he stormed off on Raw, so you saw Rollins, like, start to show some of his acting chops as well, it was all coming together at the right time, it was, like, this big performance in Elimination Chamber that he's doing his acting, and then WrestleMania 30 comes, and WWE's like, oh, yeah, we're gonna have the shield face Kane and road dog and Billy Gunn. Like that's just sucked the life out of everybody. Like how it just sucked the life out of me as I'm explaining it. That's what it was like watching this at WrestleMania 30. It was like, oh, you got three guys from the attitude era getting squashed by the shield. It, it, I don't even know what to say about it. Yeah. WrestleMania 30. That's a whole separate podcast in itself, but Nonetheless, when it comes to this time period, you mentioned Rollins showing off his acting chops as, like, you know, the architect of the Shield. I remember back at this time, the whole thing was, oh, Ambrose is going to turn on the Shield. Oh, yes. Ambrose is going to be the one who turns. Like, everyone, you'd see online, oh, Ambrose is turning. And people just, like, you know, people who think they know what's going to happen, like, oh, Ambrose is turning, 100%. And then you do the whole Shield and Evolution thing, which, by the way, Shield and Evolution was so damn good. Like, Extreme Rules, Payback, those matches were sick. I'm, I'm sure you probably agree. 
Yeah, absolutely. The the Shield Evolution feud was pretty legendary. So, it was Evolution without Ric Flair. It was Triple H, Batista, and Randy Orton, and they were basically trying to stop these babyface animals because they were like Triple H's pets, and then now they were like wanting to run the asylum, if you will. And they were just growing into, like, you know, animals. And they were, like, breaking out of their cage. And Triple H was like, no, damn it. You gotta stay in your cage. And it just... Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah it, the, Ambrose, the Ambrose Asylum, damn it, pal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it turned into this, like... It turned into this really cool feud. We had Blue Tista was born out of this. <laughs> um, you had just the Shield burying Evolution at, at Payback. And then, then again, Triple H doesn't put any people over. So... I don't know what to say yeah, about it, that. It, it, was awesome. it was awesome. You had, you had legit Seth Rollins diving off balconies onto the evolution. Like, it was just mm-hmm. sick. Like, but the whole thing was cool. Rollins, I, I remember he dove off the, like, the payback stage onto, like, all the, sh- um, the evolution guys. Like, the whole thing was really cool. And then... Yeah, I have fond memories of this stuff because this was, like, the height of my fandom. 2014, yeah. Daniel Bryan is right. in the Yes movement. Yeah. This was, like, just everything for me as a fan. Uh, I remember I went to a Raw around this time i went to the raw where stephanie mcmahon got arrested and it was like it's just complete oh god hilariousness but man yeah we got to talk about seth rollins now this is this is where seth rollins became a superstar right here the it's the, the height so, of the, so walk of the me shield through, walk me through the turn kevin walk me through uh, tell me how that made you feel <laughs> jesus so the shield they become the biggest baby faces on the on the show literally like wwe they probably could have had like another year-long run of the shield being baby faces because they never were baby faces before they came out in t-shirts they were selling a lot of merch they were really cool roman reigns was really cool and in hindsight i think it probably would have been a good call to have the baby face run go on a little bit longer so people could have been uh, more accepting of roman reigns I, I, just a little bit longer not like but not like a whole year year and a half maybe like another six or so months but they did it right at the height of the shield's popularity where like the shield just beat evolution they're they're cutting this promo and triple h comes out and he's like everybody's got a plan b and you have the shield standing in the ring and rollins has his chair and he just attacks ambrose and reigns out of nowhere it was like i think it was it was the night after payback right uh yes yes it was it was um like i I remember that so like that that fondly as well like the, the way they did it because Batista early in the night just quit again because the, the Smarks drove him away, which whatever. And then you get to Triple H walking out there. He's got he's like he's got like a you know black eye. He's like all crippled from the you know the war the night before. And he, yeah, he does the whole everyone's got a plan B. Rollins clubs Reigns in the back of the chair. Reigns sells it perfectly. Ambrose is looking like oh like oh, what what's what's going on? And then he proceeds to beat him up. It's just brilliant like the, the whole thing was done so well it made seth rollins you know into a legitimate heel it was a shocking moment because as we said everyone thought ambrose would turn so rollins turns you're like oh oh what's what's this what's this yeah and, and it really made sense in the long run because rollins was the guy that was fed up of being the guy being the glue guy so people think they thought they knew that dean ambrose was going to be the guy it was I, I don't think this was a situation where wwe was just like one day okay seth rollins is going to turn I think they had been building up to it for a while, and people just never put two and two together. Yeah, for sure. Also, one one last thing about the Shield. I mean, you were kind of talking about potentially them as babyfaces going on for more months. One one of the reasons I feel like they're remembered so fondly is because they ended it a few months early, as opposed to ending it a few months late. If you get what I'm saying, like if they kept that going for another seven months, then all of a sudden it's babyface Shield squashing 
a random six-man heel team and people get bored of it and say it sucks. So I think it's kind of good they ended when they did, to be fair. But, yeah, that, that's a fair point. Definitely definitely yeah. is a fair point. It was well, like, so now, it yeah. was it was like like they're capitalizing, they're cashing in on the height of these guys, and it really makes sense. So Rollins now I don't wanna say things went downhill, but I oh, yeah. I, I like yeah. I don't wanna say but I don't think it was a good idea to have Rollins and Ambrose feud. It just it was a weird choice for me. It it, it just I don't know. It didn't do anybody any good. It didn't do Roman any good. It didn't do Rollins and Ambrose any good. It just felt like just confusion from this point on, from this point forward through the rest of 2014. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, this storyline, the Ambrose-Rollins feud pretty much engulfed the remainder of 2014. Like, this this feud went on for about five more months after the, the heel turn. And it was just weird. It was, it was a weird feud. It was a weird storyline. They had Seth Rollins... Well, he won Money in the Bank. Okay, that, that's the first thing in this narrative. He won Money in the Bank. We'll talk about the cash in a moment. I'll get your full thoughts on that, Kevin. And then they pair him up with J&J. Um, okay, what, what were your thoughts on him pairing up with Joey Mercury and Jamie Noble? Like, yeah. uh, Joey, no- Joey Mercury and Jamie Noble, first of all, some people that are like young enough are going, who? <laughs> Like this, oh, these are guys that wrestled in the ruthless aggression era that people didn't even really know who they were. And then on top of that, they're out there in suits. It was like a rendition of the the Three Stooges or the Stooges, Vince McMahon and the Stooges, Gerald Briscoe and Pat Patterson. It was like a rendition of that. But you had like Seth Rollins hiding behind these cruiserweights from Kane and from Randy Orton, and it was like it it made Seth Rollins. They turned him into a chicken shit heel. And they turned the chicken shit heel volume up to like max, and it just became t- it really hard to take him serious. And then at the same time, like, did you even want to see him get his ass kicked? Like, I get it. People say he has that punchable face. Uh, do you, have you heard that about Rollins that he has like this punchable face? You heard people say that? Yeah, but I've I've heard that. I've heard that. But I mean, is that really? Does, that, does that make the J and J stuff? Yeah. Good. Like exactly. You know? Yeah. And then yeah, so. This storyline, I don't remember the exact specifics. I remember they were supposed to have a match at Battleground 2014, but they, they just didn't end up doing the match. And then they do the big Lumberjack match at SummerSlam, and Kane just beats up Ambrose and Rollins wins. Like, but the whole storyline was just a mess. Like, that's the best way of putting it. I, I think I'll throw to you now, Kevin. Feel free to talk to us about some of the segments they did in September featuring Slime, The Briefcase. Go on. Well, you've got, first of all, you've got Triple H out there. You have put this visual, I'll put this visual in your heads. You had Triple H for Randy Orton, Seth Rollins, Stephanie McMahon, and J&J Security standing in the ring. Where Triple H is like, yeah, this is my company now. I'm the authority. And then you have Randy Orton in the background trying to be like like the tough, like like the muscle. And then he hands the, the mic to Rollins. And Rollins is like, I'm the future. I'm the future of the WWE. I'm the architect of the shield. I'm the future. It was just like, it, it was cringe. It was so cringe. It was like, at one point, I felt like I was watching Seth Rollins do a parody of a wrestler instead of him being a wrestler. It was like he was pretending to be Triple H because remember they, remember they had him do the, the pedigree? And then it was like he was pretending to be Shawn Michaels because he would do the super kick in every match. God, those segments, some of those segments, like people look back at them now. Like I know Plata made a video about this. Planet Productions. He made a video talking about how Rollins' reign was so entertaining in 20... Uh, not his... Oh, wait. Okay. I'm getting ahead of myself. Never mind. Let me backtrack. Yeah, yeah. So, 2014, yeah. Rollins was just unbearable. 
on the mic. My God, like, oh. And then the slime stuff you're talking about, where like Rollins opens up the briefcase. Do you want me to do you want me to, do you want me to narrate that? I, I think I'll talk about the slime. Legit. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. You have this Seth Rollins who's been a heel for like two to three months. They're, they're still trying to get and capitalize off this like momentum he kind of has from this Ambrose feud and whatnot. So we roll into like September of 2014. The Ambrose feud's been going for like three months. Seth Rollins, as you talk about there, Kevin, he's doing these big authority promos to open every Raw. You have Triple H, you've got Stephanie, you've got the whole authority. Rollins does his, hey guys, I'm the future, guys. I'm the future. I'm your future, guys. Like, that's legit Seth Rollins. And then we get to we get to September, and we get these just... I don't get what they were trying to do. Like, were they trying to make Ambrose, like, funny and relatable to, like, six-year-olds? I think that's what they were trying to do. So you'd have Seth Rollins in the ring. He's in this, like, black kind of, like, suit. And the briefcase <laughs> is just sitting there. And then Ambrose comes down there being like, Hey, you may... Yeah, you, you might not want to open the briefcase, Seth. And then Seth just like opens up and slime goes on his on his face because this is DX Double Dare Slime Time Live Nickelodeon 2000. Like, like, what is this? Like, this is this is heel Seth Rollins, and they're doing slime gags. And then I remember the week after, you had like one of the weeks, you had Dean Ambrose get sent out of the arena, and then he comes back during the main event, which was like Rollins. With and the like ketchup, and with the ketchup and the mustard. <laughs> yeah, he legit came back and they had the visual of Ambrose as like the sheriff, as if he's like the sheriff in, in like a an old western. And he's like man spreading with his ketchup and his mustard on his pockets. He's like walking down to the ring and he like sprays Seth Rollins with barbecue sauce and like mustard. I'm like, this is the the supposed big breakout babyface from the Shield, Dean Ambrose. This is Seth Rollins being sprayed with mustard. Like, it, it just, they made a mess of it. And then it didn't help the Hell in a Cell ending was so bad. So, I'll get your thoughts on that. Is anything more to add on that whole stuff, Kevin? <laughs> no, no, I, no. Yeah, so legit, they, they end the Hell in a Cell match with Ambrose and Rollins. This big cataclysmic feud ender that we've been seeing the same Rollins, um, Orton and Kane versus Cena and Ambrose match for three months. We end this whole, you know, span with Ambrose versus Rollins inside the cell, Bray Wyatt just attacks Dean Ambrose, and then that, they go off and do their thing. Then, deep breath. Then, what happens next with Seth Rollins? He's money in the bank. He, he loses at Survivor Series, and then yeah, you what, want to talk about what I remember or, is like he was yeah. money in the bank, and he it felt like he lost all the time. Like he would have his matches with J and J Security there. And he would get like he get rolled up by like Jack Swagger or whoever whoever the hell was in the ring with him, because JJ Security cost him the match, and then like yeah he lost the Survivor Series to Dolph Ziggler. This was when everybody wanted Dolph Ziggler to be pushed, but Dolph Ziggler was literally filling in Roman Reigns' role because Roman Reigns had a hernia that he needed to have removed, and it was like Rollins was defending the Authority's honor, and the Authority would be ousted as uh, being in control of WWE, <laughs> and then like Rollins is feuding with Cena. Going into TLC, oh. they had a tables match, and yeah, remember that match just real quick with that one. This whole match, Seth Rollins is supposed to be like your legit, like next breakout big star heel, and that match it was legit. It was a tables match, winner faces Lesnar at the Rumble or whatever, and the whole match was legit. Cena put Rollins through a table like like three different times, but the first two the ref didn't see, so it made Seth Rollins look like a joke. And then I remember that one, the big show came out there to beat up Cena. And then Roman Reigns came back, got a giant pop, speared everyone in the ring. And that was like the whole thing. So like Roman Reigns was like the star. Rollins looked like an absolute joke in that match. 
And then I guess that transitions into one of the best matches of Seth Rollins' career, if not, in my opinion, the best. Rollins, Lesnar, Cena at the Rumble. Kevin, do you want to talk about this real quick? Unbelievable triple threat match. One of the best. Was this the time? Is this the time when they did the, the Edge segment too? Yes, yes, that was the last, last Raw of 2014, the Edge segment. Yes, yeah. okay, so yeah, let me talk about that for just a second. Uh, this was when, this kind of like put for me as a fan, that, that moment kind of put Rollins on, on the map. Like it was Edge was coming back, he's like this legend, he'd been retired like three or four years. He's coming back and he's in the ring and Edge is like, um, Edge just gets like held hostage. Seth Rollins has his foot to like Edge's head and he's going to curb stomp Edge. Unless, what, what was it John Cena gave up, like, control of, of WWE back to the authority, right? Yes, yes. It's like, yeah. what, like, like the premises was kind of stupid, but it still made Rollins seem legit, because he's being, he's in there getting the better of Edge and Cena, and that was, like, the one good segment that Rollins was involved in throughout his entire yeah, time as Money in the Bank. It didn't make sense. This is the same Seth Rollins who's been cowering, you know, yes, behind yes. Joey Mercury and Jamie Noble for six months, a guy who's, you know, being sprayed with mustard by Dean Ambrose. And now all of a sudden, he's got a cinder block, and he's got his foot on Edge's neck. He's like, I'm going to break his neck if he doesn't surrender. Like, where's the, where's the cow? Like, it didn't make sense. Yeah, it's like no it consistency. It lacked consistency. It was one good segment out of like four months of just PG cartoon crap. But yeah, the Royal Rumble match, Brock Lesnar, John Cena, if you haven't seen it, unbelievable match maybe the best triple threat match in wrestling history in some people's opinion rollins like rollins was the breakout star of this match i don't care what anybody says rollins broke out rollins just put on a big money uh, performance exactly like we everyone at this point in 2015 already knew exactly what we get from brock we knew what we get from cena rollins he, he came into the match, and he added a dynamic which made the match like really damn good. Because we've seen Brock and Cena a bunch. The, their matches are usually good to pretty good, but they're not like, oh my god, what a, what a five-star classic. So Rollins came in, made this match damn good. We've talked about this match in like, like three different elite heats. If you still haven't seen it, go and watch that thing after you finish listening to this. So with that being said, I think we can move right into WrestleMania 31. Kevin, talk us through the heist of the century. Yeah, heist of century. This is hands down Seth Rollins' claim to fame. The cash-in at WrestleMania 31, it's the main event. You have Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar for the WWE Championship. The final match of this massive mainstream pay-per-view. You have Sting's debut. You have Ronda Rousey making an appearance with The Rock. You have all this stuff going on. And this is headlined by Brock and Roman. And in the middle of the match, Seth Rollins' music hits. He's running down to the ring with his briefcase. He curb stops Roman. He wins the title. He's the first and only WrestleMania cash-in of the Money in the Bank. If it, it was this big moment, and like I said, it's his claim to fame. It this did this did two things. This killed Money in the Bank because Money in the Bank has not been the same since this. And then on top of that, it it was it made Seth Rollins into a star. Seth Rollins will always be an, an upper mid an upper mid Carter main eventer because of this moment. It was just incredible. Yeah, I mean that that right there was far and away michael cole's greatest piece of commentary ever yes far and away yeah not even I go, actually, well, actually yeah when mankind won the title in 99 that was damn good but literally parts of the century it has a distinctive call the moment was awesome it was shocking it was wwe's way of appeasing all the people who were upset because brian didn't win the rumble it was wwe giving these you know the internet kind of fans a bone and yeah it was it was it was great like the whole thing was just phenomenal rollins the, the whole visual of him, you know, you know, swinging the title around, posing with the WrestleMania like play button Iconic. sign, like that. That picture is 
insane. Like that, that is like the picture of Seth Rollins' career. That, like, that's, I, I, that, I, that's that's one of the yeah, most yeah. iconic images in wrestling and in WrestleMania history. Hell yeah! Like that that picture better be like framed like wall size big in Seth Rollins' house. I'd hope. But, oh yeah, for yeah, sure. Nah, that I, was. I, I, I want to touch on a point that you made though. Where you're talking about yeah. that was WWE's way of pleasing the internet fans. This was like. Going into this main event with Roman and Brock, people were like, oh my god, Roman is just going to destroy Brock, and he's just going to kill him, and we're going to get Roman as champion for 10 months as babyface, and we don't want it. Because this was a time when everybody hated Roman Reigns in 2015, and it was like, oh wait, we got Seth Rollins, this is great, because Seth Rollins was like the internet guy. If you were a quote-unquote internet or smart fan, you pretty much loved yep. Seth Rollins. Like, he was he was your guy in WWE. Correct, correct. And then WWE proceeded to do... The, the title reign of Rollins, which this one, look, I'll, I'll say this, I'll say this. One of the, the my fondest memories of 2015 was the night after WrestleMania, because like the world was talking. Seth Rollins' cash-in was like the, the big moment at WrestleMania. At WrestleMania with all these part-timers that everyone was watching, Seth Rollins had the big moment that everyone was talking about. And then you roll into the next night, Brock Lesnar murders, legitimately nearly kills Michael Cole, beats everyone up, gets suspended. Rollins, people are watching to see what Rollins does, what Brock does. That Raw draws 5.3 million viewers, the highest number WWE's got in the better part of the last decade. It's an incredible number. And then the title reign of Rollins happens. Kevin, I want your thoughts on the title reign of Rollins. This thing, oh my God. I have have a mini rant here. So you have the Raw after WrestleMania 31. Like you said, the world is talking about Seth Rollins. He is the highlight of the WrestleMania. What do you do? You do Seth Rollins versus Neville for the WWE Championship on Monday Night Raw for no reason. No apparent reason. You get this quote-unquote work rate match with a bunch of flips. and But you get a bunch of flips, but with WWE's like weird, slow-paced storytelling, especially from 2015, where they didn't know what to do with these indie guys yet. They didn't, they didn't like let them do what they wanted, but they also like wanted them to sell. So you'd have like Rollins selling a kick from Neville, and then 30 seconds later, he's jumping off the top rope, doing a flip. And then Neville's selling. And then 10 seconds later, Neville's doing, like, a backflip, like, gymnastics. It was just, like, what? Like, I remember being let down. Like, this is the best you got for the WWE champion. Like, oh, God. But uh, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, talking about the reign as a whole. Um, This reign, Rollins had come into his own as a heel. And as, like, a... He coming to his to his own as like a heel and a talker. I remember some of his segments were pretty good. Nothing in particular, like nothing stands out to me. I just remember like a contract signing where like he's like smiling, he's got his foot up on a table, and he felt like at that point it was like I, I could knock this guy out. Like I could see like I wanted to see him get his ass kicked by that point. Yeah, for sure. Like that that thing with Seth Rollins, like yeah, it comes to the territory of him trying to, like, develop and, you know, get better as a heel. And, like, as you kind of say, he kind of almost found himself during the title reign. Like, yeah, none of the authority segments were overly memorable. Like, most of them were the same thing each time. Like, a 20-minute opening promo, Rollins would come out there, recite a page-long script of, you know, notes written by Vince McMahon, and then he'd, he'd get out of there and he'd run away from a, a face. Like, that was Seth Rollins. Pretty so, much. That whole thing was, eh. The reign itself, one thing I've got to talk about here... This thing gets criminally, like, it gets criminally uh, overrated. Like, like the amount of praise I see, like this authority Rollins 
don't agree what heavyweight title reign get six years down the line. It's downright horrendous how much how much people like praise this thing. Like I remember watching at the time, and I'm thinking to myself, Rollins is hiding behind shirtless authority Kane to run away from Randy Orton, who Randy Orton is like a, a baby face who hardly anyone cares about. And that's legit what we got every week was Randy Orton and Seth Rollins for like two months. And then, oh, oh, Rollins is defending against Ambrose, Reigns, and Orton in a fatal four-way match. Oh, Kane saved Rollins again. Like, oh, wow. Oh, it's Randy Orton versus, versus Seth Rollins inside a steel cage, and Kane is the gatekeeper from hell. Like, wow. Oh. It was corny. I mean, the one match, I will say, the match he had with Cena at SummerSlam, now, that was good. Like, that, that match, it was title for title. Awesome match. Like, what do you think? Well, that was right. good up until the ending with Jon Stewart. That's a stupid ending. It, it, to be if, fair, also, sorry, sorry off. I just want to really get this out of the way. I hated the storyline for that match against um, Cena. Like, Rollins, I, I broke Cena's nose, guys. I broke Cena's nose. Because Rollins hit a ripcord knee, botched it, and broke Cena's nose legit. They're like the top guy in the company, you break his nose. Brilliant wrestling there. And then you have two weeks of Seth Rollins coming out there, standing in the ring for 15 minutes. He goes, everyone... Look at the Tintron, and the Tintron was a picture of a mushed-up Cena nose and Rollins' mouth talking like mocking Cena. It's like, <laughs> this is the top this top star in the company, is it? So, the match was good. You, you remember he did the CM Punk cosplay, and he had the knees-to-face, the knees to face, was it? Did he have, right? He had, like, the knees-to-face yes, shirt? It's something like that, yeah. yeah or, like, yeah. like nose, I don't know, something like that. I don't know what it was. Yeah. He has some, like, corny, like, parody T-shirt after he broke Cena's nose. I gotta go on this too before I forget. Rollins, yep. at this point, like you were about to say, this is your top guy. In theory, no. Seth Rollins was not, In theory, yes. Seth Rollins was the top guy, WWE champion. But everything else was more important than him. Cena was more important. Brock and Undertaker's feud at SummerSlam was more important. Like, it was just like, Rollins was WWE champion, but that Randy Orton set, that Randy Orton feud, that felt like an upper mid-card feud. Not a WWE Championship feud. Not like not like Brock and Taker should have had the WWE Championship in theory because they were the, the most important feud. Well, one thing I'll say to that, which attests to your point, look where Randy Orton and Seth Rollins was positioned at WrestleMania. It was the second match on the card. Like that wasn't that wasn't Brock and Roman. That wasn't even Bray and Undertaker. That wasn't a main event or a co-main event. It wasn't even an opener. It was just second on the card. You know, so. That right there shows that when they're main eventing Extreme Rules, Payback, it, it, this is the match went second to WrestleMania, and now it's main eventing. So should us as fans care as much? Like, well, no. That's what you're inherently telling us by doing that. So with that being said, I, I want to talk about the, the, the stuff with Sting because the Sting stuff, oh, my God. Like, this whole storyline, Seth Rollins has both championship belts from the match with Cena at SummerSlam, and then Rollins is like, guys, I'm going to unveil my statue tonight, guys. I'm going to get my statue. And then Sting Sting's in the statue, or where the statue was, and the whole authority shocked. Sting's face paints like melted because it was like 100 degrees inside the, the statue box. And Seth Rollins is like, oh my God, oh my God, it's not, it's not the statue, guys. It's not the statue. Like, what do you think of the whole Sting storyline, the match? What do you think of that, Kevin? Sting, I know Sting, in an interview, he calls Seth Rollins the most talented wrestler he's ever been in the ring with. So Sting had high praise for Seth Rollins, but overall the feud, man, the statue segment, yeah. that's like one of the all-time cringe segments where Sting is destroying the statue of Seth Rollins. Like WWE went out of the way. They spent resources. They had like 
people's jobs were to go get this statue made <laughs> and just to have Sting throw it in a garbage truck. Like, this is Sting. This is not, like, this is not our truth or, like, The Miz. Like, this is Sting. You can't think of anything better for Sting, one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. Like, I get it. He worked for WCW. He got checks from Eric Bischoff in 1999. I get it. But for God's sake, you don't have to bury the guy because of it. Jesus. It was like, wow. And then the, the match at Night of Champions. I remember oh, Cena's doing double... I mean, not Cena. Rollins is doing double duty because Rollins won the United States Championship at SummerSlam in the title versus title match. Rollins ended the great Cena United States Championship reign temporarily. And... um they're doing this title for title or this uh, this match where Rollins is double duty. Rollins is facing Cena for the United States Championship in the undercard of the pay per view, and then immediately after in the main event, Sting is facing Rollins for the WWE Championship. So people logically, this is what I'm thinking. Okay, R- R- uh, Cena is going to beat Rollins for the U.S. title, and then Sting is just going to come in, put the Scorpion Deathlock on him, and tap him out and win the WWE title. But no, <laughs> but no, Cena literally, Cena takes care of Rollins like he's a bag of potatoes. He beats him without a problem. He does like his super Cena stuff, his five moves of doom, the attitude adjustment, pins him, takes his US title and leaves. Out comes Sting, and then Sting and Rollins have this match where Rollins like damn near kills Sting. Like, oh God, bro. Oh, God. You, you could talk about it. I'll, I'll leave it there for you. I'll, I'll, set, I'll set you up for it. Um, first off, you I mean, you mentioned there that WWE expended resources and people's lives were put to making that statue that just got thrown away. Just picture, you've got like 10 to 15 employees in some 120 degree warehouse. It's like boiling hot. They're making minimum wage. They hate their lives. And they're just they're <laughs> carving away at this statue. <laughs> then they turn on Raw like two nights later for the statue they've put together. And then they see Sting just toss it in the trash to open the show. I'm like, oh, that, that was a week of my life down the drain. Like, just... <laughs> but yeah, anyway, um, yeah, the, the Magic Night of Champions, was, it was a oh, crap, Kevin. It was, it was not good. It was a joke. Um, it was a joke. Yeah. Like watching oh, the watching the um it was untold about Sting I think yeah. or one of these like network things they're talking like they're going through the match and it's even harder to watch when like you have like they interview like the referee in the match and the referee's talking about how oh I was getting through my earpiece Vince was yelling at me oh you know, is is he okay can he can he wrestle can he wrestle is he dead like you know Vince was you know, Gorilla was panicking Sting is like. He's laying in the ring. He like can't feel his arms because Rollins is like buckle bombed him, and yeah, Sting's lost feeling in his hell. It's just bad. It was just there's not really much to say. Like there's a whole untold about like this match and like what went down. It was Seth Rollins nearly paralyzing Sting like twice. Like it was just yeah, the the infamous buckle bomb where where Rollins Uh. throws Sting into the buckle bomb, the same buckle bomb that separated Finn Balor's shoulder a year later in the main event of SummerSlam for the first ever Universal Championship. You would think that this idiot would stop using the move after he almost killed one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. But no, he was like, he was like, no, I have to do the buckle bomb, guys. I have to get my move in, guys. So instead, he he did it at SummerSlam and broke the glass, man. He broke him. Yeah, he, 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 he shattered that glass. Hey, he proceeded to break the freaking the, the future of the company, the new universal, the first ever universal champion. Proceeded to ruin that. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I think really quick, just mention you know m- mention the events that happened. So Seth Rollins, you know, he's champion through October. He gets to like November, and then he's attempting uh, like a sunset a sunset flip power bomb against Kane in a, like an Irish live event. He he tears his ACL, his MCL, his meniscus. If you're not some medical expert, basically he destroyed his knee. 
completely just everything was ruined in his knee. So he needed a full reconstruct reconstruction, full surgery. He proceeded to miss literally about six to like eight months. So Rollins, you can talk about his return in 2016, Kevin, or just 2016 in general. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll put it in perspective. I, I tore just yeah. my meniscus and that shit hurt. But uh, moving on. So yeah. you have uh, Extreme Rules 2016. He makes his big return. Yep, yeah, big return. Extreme Rules 2016. Rollins makes his big return. He attacks Roman Reigns, who's still in 2016. For those of you that are keeping score, everybody still hates Roman Reigns. He just won like this ridiculously forced, corny authority figure storyline where he beat Triple H at WrestleMania. And Rollins comes back at Extreme Rules, attacks the guy that everybody hates. People are cheering. Like, this is supposed to be a heel attacking <laughs> attacking Roman Reigns. And, I, ha- I hate the internet, Kevin. I hate the internet. <laughs> and, and Seth Rollins, because now, I gotta, we got to mention this too. Seth Rollins can't do the curb stop anymore because no. some, some kid did it in, like, a Facebook video that went viral and got hurt or something. I like, hurt another kid. So WWE oh, banned no. the move for a while. So Rollins now is doing Triple H cosplays, doing the pedigree to Roman. And, like, and then the night yeah. after, Rollins comes out on Raw, and he just cuts this heel promo. Like, everybody's cheering him. He gets this massive babyface welcome because he they ha- nobody's seen him in six months. They're genuinely happy to see him. So what does Rollins do? He cuts this asshole heel promo, and then people just don't care anymore. Nobody's booing. Nobody's cheering. They're just like, oh, okay. (laughs) 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 It was so brain dead. And then the worst part about it was sometime, I think it was the night, I think it was the same night of Extreme Rules. Right after Extreme Rules, WWE aired the 24-7 documentary about Rollins and his triumphant return and he's talking about how wrestling is his life how he busted his ass at rehab every day to get back in front of fans and then you have him cut a heel promo 24 hours later I'm like like this yeah. they don't know what they're doing bro <laughs> yeah you're just brain dead I mean the only real things to note of about this time period was Rollins and Reigns and Money in the Bank 2016 that match was really good it's like one of the one of the better Reigns and Rollins well one of their best matches and one of the best kind of like shield guys versing each other type matches you know just generally speaking all round really good any thoughts on that match i guess you can't talk about there yeah i mean uh, you know there's really not much there to say um i i want to i want to fast forward just a little bit i don't know if you have if you have plan if what you want to talk about but i'll just say this rollins he came back and was instantly like a top guy like, he felt like, uh, he, when he had that big, even though WWE butchered it with the heel promo, Rollins coming out with that big reaction, he still felt like a top guy. And that was further proved when he got thrusted into the main event of SummerSlam after Rollins got popped for steroids. He's, th- he's like, remember that where Triple H, I think it was Triple H, was just like, oh, here, Rollins, you're going to be in the main event of SummerSlam, and then there's going to be a tournament to earn the right to face you. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Don't, don't remind me of this, Kevin. And then... Now, oh, here's this new guy, Finn Balor, who 75% of the audience doesn't know. Oh, we're going to have him beat Roman Reigns, the same guy who beat Triple H at WrestleMania. We're going to have him beat him on his first night because that makes sense, you know? Like, yeah. What? What? Yeah, what? You, you've got this guy doing, like, carnage cosplay. Like, that's what he looks like to casual fans or, like, a Spider-Man oh. cosplay just beat Roman Reigns and everybody like mo- like I remember going to like I was in college and I and I met somebody that was like a wrestling fan and they were like who is this guy 
that beat Roman Reigns. Like, who, who is this guy? And I was like, I don't know. I don't even know what to tell you, bro. I, I... Yeah. Legit. Yeah, it, it's just... It just didn't make sense, and people just like like people online go like look back at that with such reverence, and it's like the same thing. I'll take this for a quick little side tangent. You know that Raw show in 2019 in February when Alistair Black, Ricochet, Gargano, and Champa debuted, and like that whole thing was like, oh my god, the crowd was so dead. Yeah. That crowd's so disrespectful. They they showed these four great wrestlers no respect. I'm thinking to myself, they probably genuinely didn't know who they are. Because the majority of regular wrestling fans who work a nine to five and just casually watch every now and then, they don't watch seventeen hours of Alistair Black highlights a week. They're not scrolling through the the um, New Japan Network looking for great matches Ricochet had with Will Ospreay in twenty sixteen. Like, uh, nonetheless. Anyway, basically to bring this back to Seth Rollins, we get Rollins and Balor at SummerSlam. Rollins officially breaks the glass, man. We kind of talked about this match before, but yeah, Balor won the title, even though he had to relinquish it, all that kind of stuff. Any more thoughts on that, Kevin? No, no, I, I want to fast forward down to WrestleMania 33. Yep, let's go, let's go, let's oh, go. Oh, God, so, I, I, I'm there live, I'm going to give you the perspective of what I see live. You have Triple H, one of the greatest of all time, versus Seth Rollins, who basically the whole feud was Triple H was like, ha, you're never going to be me, but you could try to be me. And Samoa Joe, like, legitimately injures Seth Rollins in Samoa Joe's yeah. debut on Raw, doing a cookie and a clutch. So something with this guy is snake bit with debuts. Samoa Joe debuts, he gets injured. Finn Balor has his pay-per-view debut, Rollins injures him, whatever. So now, I'm sitting in the in the stage, at WrestleMania, or in the, in the audience at WrestleMania 33. Triple H has this badass entrance where he's riding down on a motorcycle with Stephanie McMahon on his back. And he has like this biker gang ride down to the ring with him. This is like one of the coolest entrances in the history of WrestleMania. <laughs> and then you have Seth Rollins' stupid music plays. And he comes out with like a, a barbed wire or like a, like a two by four that's on fire. And he throws it to the ground and fire goes through the arena. This is like... <laughs> Burn it down. <laughs> no, no, no. He's like, shows so Olympic torch. He like puts it down, and the, the LED graphic of fire goes down the 900 foot highway. As it's burning, that's legit, <laughs> bro. Like I'm watching this. Me and my brother are sitting in the audience watching this, and we're like, "What? Like, why did they try to put this guy on Triple H's level in terms of entrances? If you can't think of anything creative, don't do anything for him at all." <laughs> Wait, so you're telling me, Kevin, you're not a fan of? Burn it down! Like you're not a fan? Not at all. Fan? Not at all. Not at all. I, I I hate his theme song. Can I rant about his theme song for a second? Go, go, go. Oh Jesus! You have God. Oh, where do I even start? You have this guy that just won the Money in the Bank. He broke up with the Shield. His theme song is like it sounds like if you Google generic royalty free metal music. That's what Seth Rollins' theme song sounds like. <laughs> And people uh, on the internet love this freaking song because in nowadays, if you like a wrestler, you have to like everything about them. So even though they hate the song, they're like, oh, it's great because it's Seth Rollins. And it's like, bro, this song is like a dollar store generic song. Like you think about, you look at like the Ultimate Warrior or Stone Cold or Bret Hart. Some of these guys had music that didn't have instrumentals, but there was something cool about it. Like, oh, like Ultimate Warrior's theme song like made you want to do steroids and do coke and like drink a, a gallon of coffee and like lift weights and stuff and bret hart's theme song was like 
badass. It was like it had an iconic intro and Stone Cold. It was like, okay, something badass is going to happen. But then you have this guy who looks like every other wrestler because every other wrestler in 2015 wore black tights and black shirt and had long hair. <laughs> so, uh, God, just Rollins. You could say Rollins is a generic wrestler. And I love Rollins. I was like the biggest Rollins fan. I was always like going back in high school to the few people that watch wrestling. I was always the Seth Rollins fan. I, always I, I loved him from the the second like i saw the shield but it just the wfe made him so freaking corny bro like they, they turned to babyface what six months after his return going into the triple h feud and i remember he made this like lady gaga reference and i was like this dude is just corny like as a babyface <laughs> he was so good as a heel but as a babyface just so corny legit i i don't even think there's much really else to cover with rollins I mean, up until, I dare say, Monday Night Rollins, um, when he was like, you know, the big 2018 upper mid-card, you know, Intercontinental Champion version of himself, because quite literally, up until the gauntlet match in the beginning of 2018, this guy, the Triple H thing happened, and then they did a, a bogus Shield reunion, and that was legit it. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, you had the Shield reunion that, that you know, Roman Reigns got meningitis from Bray Wyatt. So the Shield reunion got cut off, and then you had Dean Ambrose and Rollins as a tag team, and everybody was like, "Oh, this is the best tag team in WWE history." Like, I, I guess, yeah, nothing well, they, really happened after the Triple H feud. But like, Kevin, he didn't do you're anything. Getting on Seth Rollins teamed with Jason Jordan and defeated Cesaro and Sheamus to become the Raw Tag Team Champions oh, on f- December fifteenth, twenty. Like, like, why was Rollins with Jason Jordan? I Monday Night Raw. I thank God I wasn't watching at this time period, but nonetheless, <laughs> yeah. I, Feel free. Let's let's talk about 2018 Seth Rollins. Let's fly through this, Kevin. Yes. What were your memories of 2018 Rollins? Talk to us. <laughs> oh God, you have. What I remember really is Monday Night, the Monday Night Rollins. Like that's really all I remember. I remember this gauntlet match he had way back. Like I don't know, I don't even know who it was he faced. I just remember he had this gauntlet match that was like the first hour of Raw, and everybody was like, "Oh my God, Seth Rollins is the best performer in the world. He's so good." And, like, I kind of thought that already. I was like, yeah, Seth Rollins is the best performer. You know, he's great. Like, in terms of WWE, nobody's better than him in the ring right now. Maybe AJ Styles, that's about it. But it was just like, it was like, oh, now he has to be WWE champion again. Like, why can't he just be Intercontinental champion? And why can't he just make the Intercontinental championship relevant and be a great Intercontinental champion? I, I, I personally loved it. Like, that's one of my favorite iterations of Rollins. Yeah, because because the guy was in the bet he was the best version of himself and he was in a position he should have been in seth rollins as a like a, an awesome intercontinental champion who makes the title prestigious as a baby face or even as a heel just like this upper mid-card guy that's where you know rollins is naturally best that's when rollins does his best work and as we'll talk about in a moment when you try and take that and give him the world championship just because oh the, you know the internet wants it and when you really try and cater to those people we have Seth Rollins doing the man's man and Seth Rollins all that kind of crap in 2019. Okay, 2019 Rollins, we'll talk about it in like a, in like a moment, but oh my God. Like 2018 Seth Rollins, the IC title thing works so well. This is just Rollins in his natural element. He has the IC title, the workhorse title. He's having great matches with guys like Elias, Ziggler, etc., etc. And it just clicked. It worked. It fit. You know, it was having great matches with a you know, title belt that was feeling prestigious. The whole thing just worked, Kevin. It really did. It did. It was great. It was great. And then, like, Roman Reigns, he, you know, he had, he announced he had leukemia and came back. So that kind of thrust, like, Roman Reigns was supposed to go into WrestleMania 35 as a WWE champion. 
and they put the, they scrambled, they put the belt on Brock, and then it was like we get this babyface Rollins going up against a heel Brock, and Rollins squashes Brock at WrestleMania in the opening match of the card, and I I remember thinking like, I, like it was obvious that Rollins was just there as a replacement. He won the Royal Rumble. We talked about the 2019 Royal Rumble in exhaustion. He won the Royal Rumble. Very boring Rumble. It was predictable. But it was like... It was like at this moment, I had like a, a, like a coming to Jesus moment. Or like a, a moment of maturity as a wrestling fan. I looked at this win at WrestleMania 35. And I was like, there's no part of me that believes this. Seth Rollins is not going to beat Brock Lesnar in three minutes. It's just, it's impossible. As much as I love Seth Rollins and I wanted him to be the top guy, it was at that moment that I realized, like, it's okay to like somebody and not want them to be the top guy. Like, I was like, Rollins would be perfect just being the Monday Night Messiah. He doesn't need to be the top guy of Raw. He's not made to be the top guy of Raw. That's not his role. Not everybody is cut out for that role. And I had this realization where I was just like, I wanted my whole like fandom in 2014-15, I wanted babyface Seth Rollins to dominate WWE and be the top guy. And then it was like, when I finally got it, I really didn't care, if that makes any sense. Because it was just so, do you remember that match? It was so unbelievable. Like, Rollins curb stopped Brock four times. And I was like, how is anybody going to take this serious? Yeah, it was, <sighs> yeah, basically. I mean, at that point you make there about, you know, your suspension of disbelief being just totally just destroyed from Rollins beating Brock in, like, two minutes. Like, that's the whole thing with wrestling. Like, everyone who watches it, who has more than that four brain cells, knows that this stuff isn't, like, quote-unquote real. It's scripted, it's predetermined, there are creative meetings to sort out who wins, who gets pushes, etc., etc., politics, all that kind of stuff. When when your suspension of disbelief is inherently just shattered by a moment, as Seth Rollins winning the title was to you, and what really was to me as well, to be honest, as it is in that case, that's never good. Okay, Seth Rollins, as I said a moment ago, he is at his best as a great upper mid-card guy with the IC title. That's Seth Rollins' thing. That's Daniel Bryan's thing. That's Dolph Ziggler's thing. That's going to be Adam Cole's thing if he goes to the main roster. These type of guys aren't the, you know, the, the world champion face of the company type guys. It's the fact that nowadays people can't really accept that as much because everyone has to have that opportunity, it, it, do, it doesn't fly. So that's where we get 2019, with, which is one of the most forgettable years in the company's history. Rollins is Universal Champion on Raw. Becky Lynch is the Raw Women's Champion. Kofi Kingston's WWE Champion. It's just forgettable content out the, out the wazoo, okay? You've got Seth Rollins. He has a good match with Styles at Money in the Bank, which had near enough no storyline. And then we got the man's man, Kevin. Let's talk about the man's man. Oh, oh my God. I, I, I have to point out, legitimately, yeah. the most entertaining thing from the summer of 2019 was Randy Orton going, stupid, stupid. Like, that's lit. Like, that was it. But, yeah. So, you have the man's man, Seth Rollins. Oh, my God. I mean, you talk about, <laughs> like, this is, like... Uh, I, I'm trying to be careful with wording. I don't really know how to put this in. I don't know how to articulate it. So I, I'll say this. It it was just like, you couldn't take it serious, you know? It, like, Rollins yeah. was, like, was a, a simp character, for lack of a better term. He was a simp correct, on live correct. TV. And he's like, he's like, oh, you know, Becky's got me, whatever. And he's wearing this man's man t-shirt with pride. Like, I get it. That's that, That's your wife, like... If Becky Lynch wants you to wear a shirt that says man's man, you have to do it because you actually have to go home with her and you don't want to deal with that at home. I get it from a man's perspective that's engaged. I understand. But, like, to be on TV like that, bro, 
just wearing a man's man shirt. It made the WWE Championship feel like like just nothing. It was nothing more than a prop. It was not relevant. It's not the. It, it was not important. It had no prestige. And then you have Rollins feuding with Baron Corbin, like I'm like, oh Jesus, yeah. Baron Corbin and Lacey Evans. What, what can I even say about this Baron <laughs> Corbin who's done nothing? Baron Corbin's claim to fame at this point was winning an Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal and getting rolled up by Jinder after cashing in the Money in the Bank contract. And this guy, that clown, is in the main event picture with Seth Rollins. Like, that's the summer of 2019 in a nutshell. Yeah. Like, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll talk about the man's man thing briefly. Similar to you, it's hard to kind of describe, and you want to really choose your words well. I, I think... I'm I'm all for WWE trying something like that, but as the main event of your flagship WWE like show, I think that is completely out of place. Like 100%, if you want to try Rollins and um, Becky Lynch as like the power couple and whatnot, go right ahead. But if they're holding the top championships on the show, and the whole the whole storyline is that the man and the man's man are beating up. Baron the Constable Burger King Corbin <laughs> and Lacey Evans. If that's your main storyline, your show sucks. And that was Monday Night Raw in 2019. That show, I remember getting back into watching wrestling in you know, June 2019. The first thing I saw was Seth Rollins hitting Baron Corbin with a chair. I was like, what's happened to wrestling? So with that being said, I think Seth Rollins, he was the man's man. It's worth a go. WWE love their agendas nowadays. <clears throat> Stephanie McMahon. So... In that regard, it's good to give it a go, but was it a success? Some people liked it, obviously. People always like this kind of stuff, but objectively, it wasn't a success. It, just, it didn't click. Seth Rollins, you could tell. There's a picture of him wearing the Man's Man t-shirt backstage. Where he physically looks depressed. So, with that being said, I think we can move on from that to the Fiend debacle, the masterpiece, Kevin. Give us your thoughts on that. Yes, the masterpiece that uh, the fellow YouTuber, Plata Productions, titled a masterpiece. The the, face. Oh, God. 2019 <laughs> Hell in a Cell match. If if I I'm telling you this, if the pandemic had not happened, I would not be sitting here doing this podcast because I was done watching wrestling in, in 2019. After I seen this Hell in a Cell match with the Fiend and Seth Rollins, where a Hell in a Cell match finished with had a disqualification finish, where the Fiend beat up Seth Rollins or Seth Rollins beat up the Fiend so bad with weapons that the match had to be stopped. Like, this is the same match that Mick Foley literally... Mick Foley died, almost died for this match. And they had this Hell in a Cell match end in a disqualification. I realized at that point that wrestling had passed me by, and I was going to stop watching. I was done. Like, I, I didn't watch anything. I missed the 2020 Royal Rumble. I missed I missed Edge's return because I didn't care. Like, I went back and I rewatched it, but I didn't care at that point. I was done watching wrestling. I was not looking at WWE Network. I was not looking at Twitter, IWC, nothing like that. I was just going to move on with my life never look at wrestling again and just decide like that stuff's for kids it's not for me whatever like that that's what that's how bad this freaking debacle of a hell of a cell match was bro it was like it was just embarrassing i remember xbox reaction or xbox was like yep you know <laughs> he's like wwe probably won't invite me back to do these things but that shit sucked like <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, yeah. uh i remember watching this live and like I'm trying to describe the feeling for you guys listening to this is like kind of hard, but you have this like feeling when you're watching the match. Like I, like I, I know 
people probably think I like elaborate, like exaggerate this stuff for like videos and for entertainment and whatnot, but I'm dead serious. I had a genuine like kind of sick feeling in my gut, like the whole match. So I'm watching this, I'm going like, what are they doing? Like that was my general thing for the first like 10 minutes. Because the, the lighting's already, you could barely see anything. We had Seth Rollins... Like, we, we talked about the whole Edge thing back in 2014, where you're like, you know, he's you know, doing this out-of-character act where he's, like, brutally trying to nearly murder someone. And it was the same thing five years later. It's like it's this out-of-character random act. Seth Rollins, he's acting as though he's, like, incensed ministry undertaker, just near trying to murder someone. That's how Rollins was acting. He's just throwing toolboxes and mallets at the Fiend. And then the ref calls a stoppage. And I remember, I'm sitting on my couch, I'm like, my jaw's on the floor, I'm like, what did I just watch? That was so bad. And the crowd in Sacramento was literally chanting, chanting AEW, we want refunds, you know, you know, this is, you know, Rollins is not cool. Like, it, it was a debacle. It was everything wrong with WWE booking nowadays. Like, the whole thing, like, Planet Production said it was a masterpiece, and he's probably changed his opinion now, knowing him, but nonetheless, <laughs> but nonetheless. <laughs> Like, I, the whole thing, I just, uh, bruh, like, that was a masterpiece. I, I'm, I'm so happy my video about that still getting views to this day. Like, that, that was, objectively, that was not a masterpiece. That was uh, just a train wreck. Like, that was objectively bad. Like, few things are objective. That was objectively bad. Like, I think that's fair to say. Oh, absolutely. Like, can, can, I, can I say this too oh, real quick okay. before I forget? So, you had the Hell to Cell, Hell to Cell 2019 and then you have Hell to Cell 2011, which we just reacted to uh, for a video on your channel. Hell in a Cell has had, def I think you could argue, Hell in a Cell has the two worst finishes in pay-per-view history. I think I think it's had more than... I'm thinking back now, Hell in a Cell has had so many bad endings. Like 2011, which we did for the video, which was something in and of itself. 2012 was Brad Maddox nut-shotting Ryback. Oh, yeah. Wow. And you had... 26, 2014 was the, the whole thing with Bray Wyatt and like the, the lantern with smoke and the, like, it's such random, man. 2018, Brock Lesnar ripped the door off and it was a no contest. <laughs> 2019, 2019 was the masterpiece. And then just like, what, like, what are they, what have they done to this cell? Ah, uh, whatever. Did you mention bro. the year two where, uh, where it was like the Daniel Bryan and, Ro and Orton thing? God. Oh my God. Yeah. And Seth Rollins, just, oh, Seth Rollins. Shawn Michaels, there we go. Uh, Rollins wishes he was Michaels, but nonetheless, Michaels super kicked all the guys and was in like a no contest again. <laughs> like, Jesus, uh, did, didn't uh, did, didn't Rollins lose the title here somewhere too? To yeah. Lesnar? So what happened? Basically, basically, it was no contest. Then Rollins was kept off of Raw for the next like two weeks because he had that much genuine heat. And then they did Crown Jewel in Saudi Arabia, and the Fiend just beat him in a false count anyway match. Like, yeah, here, Rollins Rollins had go away heat at this time. Rollins, Rollins threw the Fiend into, like, an electrical circuit, and the whole thing blew up, and then two minutes later, Fiend beat Rollins. <laughs> and then, like, what even, what even happened? And then Rollins showed up in NXT for, like, the whole invasion thing, and then we get through to, like, 2020, and he's doing the Owens feud, and the rest of this stuff, I think we can near enough fly through. What were your thoughts on Rollins as the Messiah? Like, what were your thoughts on that? You know? Um, man, what was my first impression of the Messiah... I'm trying to think. So remember, remember when he, remember when Rollins had all this go away hate. It's the night after Survivor Series 2019. Raw's lost, like Raw won I, one I, match. I wasn't watching. I didn't watch anything. Oh, like, like I, I didn't watch anything at all until okay. like until like a couple weeks before Elimination Chamber. Like the last thing I okay. saw, the first thing I saw live was when Orton and Edge did their thing at the night after Royal Rumble. That was my first day watching WWE since Hell in a Cell. 
Okay, so basically, well, essentially what they did, Rollins and a bunch of WWE main roster guys, they showed up in NXT to try and boost NXT's ratings. NXT won at Survivor Series. Raw won, like, one match. So the night after the Survivor Series 2019, Rollins holds this town hall meeting with the Raw roster where he comes out and he's like, he's saying, guys, that was not good enough. Each and every single one of you should be held responsible. And then they all stormed out. But we literally saw this segment on SmackDown two weeks ago. They, they repeated it on SmackDown, basically. But Rollins, he, he turns heel and then Kevin Owens stands up to him. We got Owens and Rollins for like eight months. This thing just goes, goes and goes and goes. Rollins goes with AOP. We get some Rollins and AOP stuff. Rollins and Owens have segments every week for like a bunch of weeks. And then really that's back to where you start watching. So we get to like WrestleMania and we get Rollins and Owens, which was a fine match. What did you think of it? Yeah, it was a good match. Definitely. Like I, yeah. I, 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 I'm one of the few people that likes the Messiah gimmick. I find it like entertaining. Like at least this guy has something. Like this is the point I want to drive home to since we're doing a podcast about the guy. WWE has given Seth Rollins more gimmicks than just about anybody else. Like, any top guy, how many gimmicks has this dude had? He had the shield, you know, the the architect, the future of WWE, um, the heist of the century, Seth freaking Rollins. King Slayer, Authority Rollins, Messiah. King Slayer, Monday Night Rollins. Um, God, like, he's had so many freaking gimmicks. The man's man. Um, And then you had the Messiah. Like, that's nine gimmicks I just named off the top of my head, and nothing freaking worked. The Messiah finally felt like he was more than just a wrestler that, that was good at wrestling with a generic theme song and, like, a generic creative wrestler. Like, he just felt like somebody that you could create in 2K19 with just, like, a, like a good wrestler with good moveset, a really entertaining wrestler in the ring, but as a character, just generic and bland. And then when he had the Messiah, it was like, oh, this is something different. This is something riveting. This is something captivating. This is something I can sink my teeth into as an on-screen character. Correct. Like, I remember I remember his promos in the Performance Center. Like, the, like the Performance Center in, like, March. It was, like, an empty arena. The shows were hard to watch. Rollins would, like, cut week after week these, like, damn good, like, Messiah promos. And that was really good. They do the WrestleMania thing. Then I guess we can, we can kind of talk about this, and this will near enough close us out. We have the big Rollins and the Mysterio storyline, which to say it went on and on is being generous. I mean, if you watch week in, week out in 2020, oh my God. (laughs) It it literally started in May. Like, this is not a joke. It started in May after Rollins lost at at Backlash to Bobby Lashley. I mean, not to Bobby Lashley, to Drew McIntyre. Yeah, McIntyre, Money in the Bank. And then literally the night after, it began in May. Like, yeah, yeah you guys it literally it. started May with Rollins and Mysterio. And then we get this eye-for-an-eye match at Extreme Rules where <laughs> Seth Rollins, like, they did this, oh, this really bad, like, cheesy, like, cinematic-type finish where, like, you could see Rey Mysterio's holding a fake eye in his hand. Like, <laughs> r- like r- uh, Rollins threw Rey into the steel steps at, like, eye first. And then you have Rollins puking. And it's like, what in the hell am I watching? And then it just devolved into <laughs> Rollins saying that, like, Aaliyah Mysterio wasn't Ray's daughter. And you have <laughs> Ray Mysterio's wife, Ray Mysterio's son Dominic, and his daughter Aaliyah all on TV. It's like an episode of Jerry Springer with Seth Rollins in his, like, in his cult leader character suit. Just like, Ray, 
Aaliyah is not your daughter. And then you have like Ro- Seth Rollins is reading DMs on Instagram between <laughs> between Aaliyah Mysterio and Buddy Murphy because Buddy Murphy's his disciple and Austin Theory was like a part of his disciple. But it was like Buddy Murphy and Austin Theory were just like his bag carriers. Like they didn't feel like a part of the faction at all. They just didn't matter. WWE hardly ever mentioned them. And then all of a sudden Buddy Murphy's like in love with Rey Mysterio's daughter and they're kissing. It was like it was just like week after week it was like bruce Pritchard was just like how can we outdo ourselves with with this with this stupidity next what's it kevin could you please clarify something for me you grew up watching ray and eddie fighting over custody of dominic correct yes so you grew up watching eddie guerrero ray it's like this really like like emotional gripping storyline culminates in an amazing match at SummerSlam. fast forward 15 years and the Mysterio family storyline we're getting is, as you mentioned, it's Seth Rollins reading DMs with Aaliyah. <laughs> and just, like, like, compare that, compare that. You've got, like, little Kevin watching this, like, gripping okay. storyline with Eddie that you're, okay. like, in love with. Okay, yeah, so, so this is what I grew up on. This is, like, Rey Mysterio and Eddie is one of my favorite feuds, like, top two or three feuds of all time. I grew up watching Eddie Guerrero and Dominic at the park where Eddie's, like, and then Eddie's talking to the camera, like, Ray, this is not your son. Like, this is my son. I, I'm your, like, Dominic, I'm your poppy. And you have Eddie Guerrero, just some of the most entertaining Eddie Guerrero stuff ever. You have Eddie sitting in a chair, reading, a, like, a kid's book to Dominic. Like, it felt like a well-thought-out storyline. Where you have, like, you know, you have a payoff. A freaking, like, the feud ended at one point. You have Eddie and Ray. They had this match for custody of Dominic. And it's, like, an amazing match. You have Dominic out there like looking sad like he's asking ray like ray are you actually like is he telling the truth like is that my dad and and then like fast forward fi- um what 15 years later you just have these random segments after random segments where like one day buddy murphy's in love with Aaliyah, and then the next day like everybody on twitter is talking about how hot ray mysterio's mom is and i'm just like or ray mysterio's <laughs> wife is and i'm just like 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 when it when it when they first did the angle i was like oh this is cool we're gonna get an ode to eddie and, and ray and i was like marking out for it and then it just devolved into seth rollins with his face and like with the camera like right up on his face reading dms i will never forget that as long as i live that's like that's one thing that'll stick with me as a wrestling fan forever i i, I remember your review of that smackdown like that was on the way because i like didn't watch and i like i come home and i literally i click on the bonafide hate smackdown review and the first three minutes is just you saying, like, I, I can't believe I've just seen you. are like, describing the DM rating. I'm like, <laughs> what the um, But, yeah, nonetheless, um, Seth Rollins, like, like, I just want to say one thing about this Rollins and Mysterios thing. Rollins and the Mysterios is everything wrong with long-term storytelling, okay? Long-term storytelling, when done well, is amazing. This, I've seen some people say, was long-term storytelling, and in these people's minds, long-term storytelling equals great. No, no, no. What this was, was six May through November, so that's legit six months. Six months of WWE doing some kind of Rollins and Mysterio segment when there was clearly no long-term thought or long-term payoff, as you said. It was just, what Rollins and Mysterio segment can we do this week? And more often than not, it'd be the same thing week after week after week. That's not long-term storytelling. That's just the same thing week after week for months and months. So in that regard, Rollins and Mysterios... As a storyline, had its positives. Rollins and Dominic at SummerSlam, awesome match. Um, also, one other thing I want to mention, that, that moment when I believe it was Murphy kissed Aaliyah on SmackDown, oh and then God. Rollins had that like gif of him being like, oh, wow. Like, 
That was jokes. That was oh my god, yeah, that was great. His face, yeah, that gif was great. Oh. That was amazing. And legit, I think that's near enough all there is to really talk about with Rollins. We've come full circle with Seth Rollins. We've gone through his full legacy and career. I guess we'll ask that question now, Kevin. What do you think Seth Rollins' legacy is going to be? Um, Seth Rollins' legacy, he will be one of the guys, when you think of 2010's WWE, Seth Rollins will be at the top of the list because you're going to think about The Shield, you're going to think about Randy Orton, you're going to think about Cena, you're going to think about Brock. Rollins will be right up there amongst those guys. Um, do you think, do you think like, we'll look back on Seth Rollins when he's retired the same way we look back on Bret Hart? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of fair to say it because you could compare it. Yeah. You definitely could compare the two because Bret Hart, very good in the ring, but very generic promo, very generic character. Seth Rollins, very good in the ring, maybe the best wrestler of, of his generation. That's probably what Rollins would be re- remembered as, as the best wrestler of his generation. Because he really is. Like, I, I can't state this enough. In the ring, there, I don't think, I, like, people say AJ Styles, but I really don't think Rollins, I don't think AJ Styles is better than Rollins. Rollins, I mean, how can you say, like, Rollins is 30, like, in his early 30s to late 20s during this generation. I don't see, like, I can see how you make the case, but, like, I don't know. What, what do you think? How do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, in the ring, it's hard to go past Rollins as far as, like, in the ring. Like, obviously, excluding a couple of selective botches along the way, like, obviously, yeah, we covered that. But nonetheless, like, as an overall in-ring guy, Rollins is, you know, one of the best that's gone around and has been that way for basically the last decade. So, I think that's totally fair to say. As I kind of just said there, I feel like Rollins will be looked back upon in a similar way to Bret Hart and how he gets looked back upon. Like, you know, in 20 years from now, People will, you know, no doubt be talking about how great a wrestler Rollins was and how great Rollins was in the ring. But there'll always be kind of a bit of like an asterisk there as far as like, oh, you know, he wasn't like the biggest draw for ratings. When he was the top guy, you know, the company wasn't exactly in a good place. Like that kind of thing will kind of linger with Rollins. Like when Rollins was a top guy, it was in 2019, which was one of the worst years in company history, where literally nothing happened in the year. So, but that being said, that's what I think for Seth Rollins. Any, any closing words, Kevin? Yeah, I'll, I'll say this about Seth Rollins. Like he's he's always been one of my favorite wrestlers, and he still is. I just I love Seth Rollins. Like the guy is just he's great. Um, he like you said, he'll be remembered as Bret Hart, but he'll also be remembered too for the cash in at WrestleMania. Like the, he'll always Correct. be compared yep. to Edge because of that. This guy gets compared to everybody, and he gets compared to Shawn Michaels. Triple H. Shawn Michaels because of the look and his ring style. Triple H because he used the pedigree and because they cut promos together on Raw. Edge because he cashed in at WrestleMania. Now Bret Hart because he'll be remembered as like a great in-ring worker. But just look, can we let the guy be Seth Rollins? Like, why does everybody have to be compared to someone else from the past? Just let him be Seth Rollins. Let him be the first Seth Rollins. Great point. Great point. I love, I love you make that point immediately after I've just made a Bret Hart comparison. Cheers to that, Kevin. Love that. Love that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I had to, uh, had to undercut you there. No, I didn't mean anything against you, no. But it's like, it's just like um, the Bret, the Bret Hart comparison is fair. Like that one is fair. The Shawn Michaels comparison is not fair. You know what I mean? Like you can't compare him to Shawn Michaels. Shawn- yeah, because I mean they're totally different. Like the, the the Bret Hart one I made like on the spot here. Like, I have nothing written down for this. I was just thinking to myself, legacy wise, when you look back on Rollins. I really do feel like it'll be very similar to how Bret Hart gets looked back upon. It's just yeah, in the ring, amazing guy. What was did that call like ratings? Ugh, that, no. That's kind of hit or miss. Nonetheless, I think Rollins is 
like, obviously damn good in the ring. He's had a bunch of memorable moments over the course of the journey. It's been fun in up Elite Hate Episode 10 going through it all. So that being said, I'm signing off. Been good fun. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, we'll talk to you guys next Monday for another episode. Stay tuned for If AEW Was a High School. I love it, Marvel. It's going to be great fun. I will talk to you guys next week.